0: Oh yeah, here, all right, this is five bucks for remembering, you know, the parents, okay. Hey, uh, open your Bibles to Hebrews 11, and we are continuing this, uh, it's sort of like a mini-series within Hebrews, uh, this, what what affectionately known as the Hall of Faith, you get all these people who by faith, you know, are trusting in the promises that God has made uh, for another another world, a, a different future than what this world offers. Uh, and we're coming to this part uh, in Hebrews 11 where you really get a, a very clear sense of the distinction between living by faith in uh, what God is offering us through his promises, through his mercy, through his grace, uh, compared to uh, faith in something else or someone else which sort of has a common denominator. We could just say it's really faith in self. Um, and then you, you also get a real clear picture of what it means to, uh, to be saved according to like, your, your household and, and who you're latching on to. Who do you identify with? So um, we're going to be looking at several different characters really related to the Exodus. So let's stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to read verses 27 through 31. So by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Lord, we pray for your blessing over the reading and hearing and receiving of your word this morning. We pray that we would see and understand that Jesus is greater than anything that uh, you had promised your people before he came. Help us to hold on to him, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so the whole uh, argument in Hebrews is to not revert back to the types and the pictures and the shadows that were pointing to the substance that was coming to, to Jesus who would come, you know, after the Old Testament era. Uh, and, and so what Hebrews is showing us is that he's greater than all of those different things that, the, that our patriarchs and matriarchs were hoping in. Uh, so we want to do the same thing. We want to look to Jesus as the one who is greater. And, um, and, we're, and we see that through believing in him, having faith in him, and belonging to him uh, and identifying with him. So um, an argument at the beginning of Hebrews 11, and, and Kyle spelled this out a, a few weeks ago, you look in verse 6 it gives us an idea of like, what is faith? What does it mean to have faith in God? It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this means that the object of our faith is God. We believe that he's real and that he's going to bless our faith in him. He's going to reward that. And we see just in these verses How by faith Moses left Egypt. He put his faith in God, believed his promises, and left Egypt believing that there would be benefit to obeying God. Um, Verse 28, by faith he and the rest of Israel, they kept the Passover. They believed his promises for salvation by by going uh, through the the Passover ritual. Uh, Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea. They certainly believed there would be salvation through that path, through the sea, especially when they were hemmed in and and had no other way. Um, And then verses uh, 30 and 31 talk about how by faith uh, the people marched around Jericho. Seven times the walls fell. By faith Rahab hid the spies, trusted in what God was promising to the Israelites as opposed to what he was promising, um, as opposed to what um, belief in her culture, her gods, her heritage uh, was providing. So I just wanted to, to make an observation here, you've got Hebrews 11 and and here we've got these incredible demonstrations of God's power. Um, You know, these supernatural acts of deliverance. The Passover, uh, the Red Sea, uh, the walls of Jericho, all these things. And we we have all throughout the book of Hebrews examples of people who who by faith, you know, are, are looking forward to this this better country, Uh, they're believing God's promises to deliver them, they're they're trusting in the city that that God, the architect and builder, is going to provide for them. And we get this impression, if we're not, you know, really kind of thinking clearly, (laughs) we can get the impression that, well, in order to to really please God, you know, without faith it's impossible to please Him, in order to really please God, then, then you have to have, like, really good faith. Your faith has to be exceptional. You've got to have the kind of faith that you know, merits mention here in, in Hebrews 11 that just you know, does these amazing, awesome you know, acts of uh, uh, miraculous things, supernatural things, and, and that that's the kind of faith that pleases God. But I just want to pause and, and, and really offer a corrective to that wrong assumption. That's not... The only kind of faith that pleases God. Is he honored by great faith? Of course. Should we aspire to have great faith? Yes, of course. Should we seek to build the muscle of our faith and have a a robust trust in God? Yes, of course. But that's not what's required. Can I just pop some pressure quirks here for a second? Nobody believes perfectly. Perfectly. You don't believe in Jesus perfectly. I don't believe in Jesus perfectly. None of the saints in Hebrews 11 believed God perfectly. Look at Moses. Moses is a great example. He's being lifted up, okay, by faith, you know, the Passover, by faith, the Red Sea, by faith, the Exodus, all all of this stuff. And we we lift him up without even thinking about it and, and put him on a pedestal as this hero of the faith. But... Can I, can I just remind us of, of how he first received his commission in Exodus 3? There's this burning bush, and it's on fire. It's not being consumed, and there's a voice, and it's telling him to, you know, it's holy ground and all that. And, and And Moses hears from the Lord this commission to go and be the deliverer for God's people. He's going to lead the Exodus, and Moses, you know, his response is, Heck yes, I will, and I believe you, and I'm going to trust you, and there's no turning back. Not so much. He's like, um, how how is this going to work? I mean, Pharaoh Pharaoh's pretty powerful. He's he's got a lot of he's, he's got a lot he's got this army, and 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 what am I going to say? How's this going to work? And he's like, Well, you're going to do these miracles. Oh, okay. Um. Well, you know, I don't speak very well, and I stutter, and, and, I, and, I, I, and my tongue doesn't work. And he says, all right, no worries. I made your mouth. I'm going to give you Aaron, and Aaron can speak for you. Yeah, but, and really, it's, it's comical. The, the whole dialogue, you can just see Moses pausing, tapping the brakes, saying, I don't know about this. It lasts an entire chapter, all of Exodus 3. And it bleeds into chapter 4 and you see the Lord's patience and he's just trying to reassure Moses and Moses' faith is like this. And and you get to the middle of chapter 4 and then Moses just finally stops sort of like huffing and puffing and making excuses and he just simply says, oh Lord, my Lord, please send someone else. How's that for faith? How's that for robust trust, right? Like this is the same Moses in Hebrews 11. We don't have to have perfect faith. It takes faith to please God, don't get me wrong. But it doesn't take a lot of faith. You don't need a lot of faith to please God. How much faith do we need to have to, have, to, to please God, according to Hebrews 11? Well, maybe we ought to ask Jesus, because um, he's the one who, who, who we're putting our faith in. And, and to hear him describe it, it doesn't take a lot. Like he says, truly, I say to you, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, there's no exaggeration, there's no parable. You don't have to like puzzle this out. I'm just telling you the plain truth. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, then you can say to this mountain, move from there, it'll be moved. Mustard seed. I know all of us with our thorough background in botany, you know all of us are familiar with mustard seeds, right? No, you're not. It's like smaller than a peppercorn. If you have faith that even, doesn't even have to be as big as a peppercorn, you can please God with that kind of faith. Like a mustard seed is about the size of, do you know the, like a dandelion that you blow? Not the, not the flower, but the little puff ball, and you blow that. You know the things that blow away? Um, and they've got their little thing on the, on the end with all the, 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 paw, the, the puff ball, and then on the, there's a stalk, and on the tip of that stalk is a tiny little seed. That's the seed. That's the size of a mustard seed. That's the size that, our faith can be and still be pleasing to God. You don't have to be a hero. I mean, if you end up being a hero, good. And and we don't want to settle for like dandelion seed size faith. We're not settling for that. I I really want to be clear about that. But, But it's okay if that's all that you've got. And that still can please God. And, 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 and we take that small faith and we say, well, grow it. You know, take, take my acorn of faith and turn it into an oak tree, right? Like make it strong, make it robust, make it something that's going to help bless people and bless this world and show people the reality of Jesus. But, but at the end of the day, if you've got a mustard seed faith, you can still come to Jesus and say, I believe, help my unbelief. Help, help me where, where, where I'm lacking, right? So um, Kyle was speaking to this a few weeks ago, we were talking about, look, it's not the quantity or the quality of our faith in the end of the day that matters. It's the object of our faith, where we're putting our faith, the choice that we're making between am I going to believe God or am I going to believe, you know, Something else that's going to offer me the promise and the guarantee and the salvation or the, the rescue or just the relief that I'm looking for. Yeah, this is universal. Every human being is looking for, they may not use the word salvation, but we're all looking for, for blessing. We're all looking for relief. We're all looking for a better life. We're all looking for love. We're all looking for acceptance. We're all looking for you know, a better country. And, and, and faith really has, what it comes down to is, what's your choice? And are those blessings going to come through Jesus, or are they going to come through something else? You know, and, and, and we fill in the blank. Uh, I think Moses demonstrates this pretty well. You know, he's got this faltering faith, and, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's small, and it's, it's a good reminder to us. But when you look at what's going on with, through the Exodus in verses 27 and 28— um, he's, he's confronting Pharaoh. He's going, th- going through with what God's commissioned to him. Uh, he endured as seeing him who was invisible, and by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So let's talk about the Passover. Because the Passover is the sign of salvation for, for Israel. They trusted God's promise he was going to deliver them, and, and he said, here's how I'm going to do it. On the night of your deliverance, you know, each household, you got to take a lamb, you sacrifice the lamb. You take the blood of the lamb and, and you you smear the the blood of the lamb over the vertical and horizontal beams, you know, the entrance to your home, and then you share a meal. And if that lamb is too much for just your tiny family, you invite the neighbors and you have like a little, you know, neighborhood thing, And and, and it's a communal, covenantal, Meal where you're 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 feasting on what was promised. This sacrificial animal, you're taking shelter under the blood, and you're trusting that that, destru- that that destruction, the judgment, is gonna pass over you and not touch you by faith. And everybody had a choice. Are you gonna do it or not? And you can celebrate the Passover with robustness. Bust faith! where you can celebrate the Passover going, I don't, I don't, is this, is this going to work? I don't know, but we're going to do it anyway, and, you know, God help us, help my unbelief. Everybody under the blood on the horizontal and vertical beams, everybody around that table, everybody around that lamb got saved regardless of the quality of their faith. And the ones who, who were not saved did not have the blood, did not have the lamb. In Exodus 12, we get more instructions. The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, will not allow the destroyer to enter the house or to strike you. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he's promised, you shall keep the service. And that's what faithful Jewish people have been doing. For thousands of years is keeping the Passover that's what Jesus did with his disciples they, they, they were faithful Jewish people and they were keeping the Passover on the night that Jesus was betrayed on the upper rim they were eating the Passover but it was unlike any Passover they had ever eaten because in the middle of the meal Jesus flips the script and he does the words of institution and he says this is my body which is for you this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the give us of your sins. And everybody's going, what? He's basically saying, this is the Passover. And by the way, everybody, the Passover is about me. Everything that Moses went through, everything that our forefathers went through, all of that was pointing to me. It was all pointing to the vertical and horizontal beams that would have his blood on it. And anybody that takes shelter under that blood, anybody who gathers at that meal to celebrate the lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins is saved from the judgment. And this is why Paul would say things like in 1 Corinthians 5, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, our Passover lamb, right? Right. And, and this is why our, um, our Puritan you know, fathers and mothers would say things like, look, if you're not ready to take the Lord's Supper, this meal commemorating the lamb who was slain for our sins, if you're not ready to take this meal, if you're not ready to gather around the lamb, if you're not you know, coming under the canopy of his shed blood for us, you're not ready to meet the Lord. You're not ready to die. Nobody is ready to stand in judgment if they're not covered by what God has promised through his lamb, through the, the, the lamb that was slain for our sins. That's why Jesus would say to his disciples, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Put your faith in me and you'll have eternal life. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. So he is the object of our faith. Here is the one that we put our faith in so that we might receive the salvation that God promises by faith. By what he has done instead of what we have done. And to not put our faith in ourselves or other things that seem to promise deliverance but they really won't. Right? I mean, faith not only expresses itself in relation to God. I mean, everybody's got faith. Everybody lives by faith, and we, we were sort of talking about this last week, but, but I want to I kind of continue with this, this idea because we hear things. We, we hear our culture. We, we hear our movies. We hear our songs. We hear, you know, our poets will, will, will tell us, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself, and I get it, okay, there's lots of ways that we underestimate our ability and our our perseverance and our stamina, and and if we kind of hang in there, we we can do hard things, and that's that's not a bad message. What is a bad message is believe in yourself, you're self-sufficient, you don't need anything else. You don't need anything outside of yourself. You don't need... (laughs) a God to, to deliver you or to save you. You are, are, are good and wholesome just the way you are. That's not true. But yeah, we, we hear this message all around us. Believe in yourself or I only believe in science. You know, um, we, we hear this in all kinds of forms. So faith is not just something that we express in relation to God. It's something that everybody does. It's something that I, and I'm going to kind of flip the script here a little bit with these verses in Hebrews 11. Look, Pharaoh is exercising faith. Pharaoh's army was exercising faith. The people in Jericho were exercising faith. You know, here, let me show you what I'm talking about. By faith, in his title, in his position, in his authority, in how the culture deified him, Pharaoh denied Moses despite all of the plagues, despite, despite all of the evidence to the contrary, Pharaoh, by faith, resisted what God was doing. What was he putting his faith in? He was putting in his faith in himself, his identity as like the son of the sun god, the son of Ra. He was putting his faith in all the Egyptian deities and he wouldn't let them be disgraced or embarrassed even though these plagues were basically poking you know, these deities in the eye saying, you got nothing. And and it was an exercise of faith. And and things escalated until the Passover when Pharaoh's hard heart resulted in tremendous grief. Not only to Pharaoh, but everybody else in Egypt. Um, So I just want you to see, he was exercising a kind of faith. Faith in himself. And then you get to the army, right? Pharaoh's army. And, And by faith in their power in their weaponry, you know, in, in their superiority. Pharaoh's soldiers advanced on the Israelites through, through the supernatural path of escape that, that Israel's God had established. How much faith did that take? I mean, and, and just want kind to of follow through, like, what were they thinking? All right, we're, we've enslaved these people. They're leaving. We're supposed to go recapture them, bring them back into slavery. What, what were they? What were they thinking? This is the path that their God has made for them to escape, and we're going to go through it and think that this is going to be fine. Or let's just even assume that they made it through the Red Sea, onto the other side, where the Israelites were. What were they going to do? Encircle the Israelites, like re-enslave them, and then what, march them back like cattle th- back through the Red Sea? Were they imagining that that way of escape, the supernatural way of escape, was just going to stay there so that they can be re-enslaved? That, that's, that's an incredible amount of faith. That's, that, that's just bizarre. That's remarkable, right? But instead, it says in verse 29 that the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned, right? They, they had this incredible presumption, this incredible faith in themselves and their strength and their superiority that, that like, it wasn't mustard seed faith. It was like watermelon-sized faith. It was, it, was, it was pumpkin-sized faith. That took a tremendous amount of faith to believe that. Um, John Owen, you know, one of the, the Puritans, wrote a commentary on Hebrews, and he was saying basically like a greater instance about the work of divine providence of the power of faith on the one hand of Israel and of, you know, he'll say unbelief with abdurate presumption. That's a great phrase. This abdurate presumption on the other, such, such an, a great example of that is not uh, in record in the whole book of God, uh, apart from this, right? It's the greatest demonstration of like that stubborn kind of presumption. We're calling it faith, you know, but it, it, it is unbelief in God, but absolute belief in our own strength and our own power, and then you get to Jericho um, by faith, right? Uh, in, in their walls of protection and their, their their strong city, the people of Jericho defied Israel, even though even though they had heard about God's deliverance at the Red Sea by faith. Um, Verse 31, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. There's a a disobedience about that stubborn refusal to believe God and to surrender to him instead of to resist him, trusting in themselves. So if you go back to the book of Joshua, you can read the account of Jericho in chapter 2, and the spies come and Rahab who's mentioned here, she hides them and she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. They knew better. They heard about it. They were even afraid, but not afraid enough. They weren't afraid enough to abandon their faith and their strong wall and surrender themselves to God's grace and His mercy. Do you understand like, how faith is working in everybody? Everybody lives by faith. It's just what are you putting your faith in? Where is our faith? What's the object of our faith? So we can either put our faith in God, and you know Paul would say that the life I live, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or we can live by faith in self, which would go something like this. Like the life I live in the body, I live by faith. In the, in the, in the sum of my facade, my, my facade of, of competency and um, and, and, and I, can, I can do things, and I can protect myself, and I can provide for myself, and I, I don't need a Savior, and like that kind of belief and faith in ourselves. So we can live by faith in the Son of God, or we can live by faith in the sum of our facade. It's, you pick. We pick. Everybody picks. We can pray, thy kingdom come, or we can pray, my kingdom come. and That's really what's at stake. That's, that's, that's the life of faith. Um, And then just looking a little bit more carefully at the whole episode with Rahab and Jericho, we're saved by faith in what God has promised through his son. Another way of expressing it is we're saved by belonging to the son. We belong to him. Um, So in verses 30 and 31, the, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given... A friendly welcome to the spies. So, when those those two verses, thirty and thirty-one, can, can I ask you to look carefully at those verses and tell me what's missing or who's missing? Whose name is not there that you might expect? Joshua's not there. We've heard about you know the hall of faith, right? Joshua is Moses' successor, but he's not named like specifically. It's, it's no shade against him, but what I think is really cool is that Rahab is mentioned by name. She gets the shout out, Joshua doesn't. Why? What does that tell us? How is that good news to us? Well, it tells us at least a couple of things. You don't have to have a great pedigree and you don't have to be this hero of, of the faith in order to have God's favor. Who is Rahab, right? She's first thing we know is she's a woman in the ancient Near East, so she's underprivileged. She doesn't have the same rights as a man. So, so, in, so in that sense, culture sort of looks at her as less than. She's underprivileged. She's, she's an enemy of God's people. She's part of them, you know, those people that, you know, Israel's supposed to go into the land and, and wipe them out, right? Because they're defying God and they're, you know, living and doing all these terrible things. And she's this foreigner and she's an enemy and She's a woman, she's underprivileged, and she's a prostitute? <laughs> Even her own people look at her as an outcast. And what does this tell us about God's favor? You don't need a pedigree to have God's favor. Hebrews eleven sixteen 16, right? says that God's not ashamed to be called their God. And God wasn't ashamed to be called Rahab's God. You don't have to have tremendous faith to have God's favor. You don't even have to be a great saint to have God's favor. You can be a great sinner and have God's favor. It doesn't mean we, we keep going on in our sin. We, we turn from it, but I don't care what our past has been. It doesn't matter what you did 10 years ago. It doesn't matter what you did 10 days ago or 10 minutes ago. Rahab's here. She's this person that society would have shunned, and, and yet God says, no, she, I'm not ashamed of her, and I welcome her. And, and so be encouraged, right, if you don't feel like you're some hall-of-faith superstar. Be encouraged if you instead, on the contrary, feel like the world's biggest sinner because what God says is it's not about you. It's about his son, and it's about coming under him. And So God accepts everyone who turns away, from trusting in ourselves to trust in him. That's, that's the condition. So, you know, what's really wonderful is, again, going back to Joshua 2. Um, when the city was being destroyed and, this, uh, and Joshua was giving instructions, the two men, the two spies, uh, Joshua told them, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. And so the young men who had been the spies, went in, and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her were saved. God says that all who belonged to Rahab would receive his mercy and salvation. Anyone who was in her house would be spared. And all of these episodes whether it's the Exodus, whether it's the Red Sea, whether it's Jericho, are depicting a a judgment, right? God's judgment against sin and disobedience and idolatry and self. And and how that judgment came on Egypt, it came on Pharaoh's army, it came on Jericho, and this is a picture of what's to come. Like this day that's coming when God's going to judge the world and its powers and its arrogance and its presumption and its self-reliance. But he's also that day is also simultaneously going to be a day of deliverance and salvation for those who abandon our trust in those things and transfer it to trusting God and his mercy, his grace to us. So 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way. Look, if, as, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. And then at his coming, on that day, that great and awesome day we just sang about, at his coming, those who belong to Christ, who belong to him. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And that's the judgment, right? Salvation and judgment. Those who were judged are those who are aligned with every rule and power and authority on earth. Those who are saved are they belong to Christ. So how will you and I find refuge on that day? We belong to Jesus. How will you and I be spared? Where will we find salvation? In the house of Jesus, in the house, you know, as it were, of Rahab. There's this really, really beautiful link between Rahab and Jesus, and some of you know this, but if you don't know this, I'm going to kind of help you go, wow, that's cool. Because if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, they give the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham, and it goes through his family tree. And it traces Abraham, who's the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob is the father of Judah and his brothers and so on. And then it gets to to Rahab and her husband, Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. So Rahab is saved. She marries Salmon, one of the the, um, people who came out of the Exodus. And they have Boaz, and Boaz is the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and then all the way down the line until Jesus. So you need to know that Rahab is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. You and I are saved by belonging to Rahab because we belong to Jesus. That's where we find protection, and that's where we find deliverance, is being in his house, being protected by him and belonging to him. All who were united to Rahab, all who belonged to her were spared God's judgment in the sinful city, and all who belonged to Jesus are spared God's judgment of the sinful world. We just turn from trusting in ourselves in this world to trusting in Jesus. That's what faith looks like. It doesn't depend on the quantity or the quality. It depends on the object. It depends on the choice that you and I make. Do you belong to him? Have you chosen him? Will you pray with me, thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come? Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for this uh, description of, of what faith looks like, and we praise you for the reassurance. That our faith doesn't have to be um, this incredible demonstration uh, of power, and and, um, and and that has to be better than everybody else's, Lord. It just has to be focused on Jesus. And so we place our faith in Him, uh, and we renew our faith in Him, and we pray that You would strengthen our faith in Him, uh, Lord. Grow our faith and help it to to be the kind of faith that that points to you as, as something who is good and, and trustworthy and beautiful and worth the world in comparison. And Lord, as, um, as we, your people, demonstrate that kind of faith and trust that we belong to you, we pray that the world would notice, that our neighbors would notice, that, that our, our, our people at work and in our neighborhoods and our roommates and teammates would all see and know um, that we belong to you. Pray that you would get glory in that way. Lord, we pray for us that to be true for us as a church, but also for uh, for our households, and we pray for these in particular.